0: Our GM came in to talk to a bunch of our, our Latin players to tell them, you know, if you don't weigh 180 pounds, it's going to be tough for me to promote you as a pitcher or a position player. Like they're, they're, the, the, the population of players under the, the weight of 200 pounds in the big leagues is scarce.
1: Hey, I'm Bart Pair with Ryan Croton and Jordan Oseguera, and this is More Than Velocity. And today we've got a special guest on here, Carlos Gomez. Carlos uh, is actually a good friend of both Ryan and Jordan, and uh, through the Angels, he was the director of international scouting for nearly a decade with the Angels, and he actually uh, pitched professionally as well. So he's got a, a unique perspective there that we want to get into uh, all about scouting, find out some um, you know some insights you wouldn't normally Know or expect so, Jordan. I'm going to let you kind of take it a little farther and kind of set up Carlos and and let's get into it.
2: Yeah, so I just want to kind of jump on real quick and 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 let everyone know kind of my background with Carlos. And I think we met. Uh, man, it was in spring training 2016, my first year with the Angels. Carlos had been going on nearly half a decade at that point, I believe. And me and him were attending a pitching seminar that someone came in to kind of pitch us a product. I believe it was right. and and it was a really it was an interesting product it was trying to make a, a 3d analysis out of 2d video on one angle but also to compare them to a historical player i believe if i remember correctly right. and you know that's when me and you kind of started getting on onto talking and i think the one thing that initially we, we agreed on it was my pro career was worse than yours wow. um, <laughs> you know so i have my i mean it, it was like we, we were still battling like which one of us was worse you know <laughs> Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's been a fantastic time to get to know Carlos and, you know, he's probably more of a student than I am of it because he's been digging into stuff and hammering things out very similar to what I've been doing. And it's been great to kind of have a back and forth banter with him for, you know, over five years now of just going, you know, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of that? And there's a lot that we disagree on, but it's a constructive disagreement And one of the reasons I'm excited to have him on here is you're probably going to hear us disagree about stuff today, but I think it's the way that baseball needs to disagree moving forward, that you need to respect someone's opinion. You need to learn, you need to challenge your views and realize that, yeah, there's some burrs on your, your beliefs that you need to buff out and really move move forward with. And that's one of the reasons I love talking to Carlos and it's going to be great to have him on.
3: Likewise. I mean, likewise to me, it's, 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 Having met, when I met Jordan and met Croce, um, the the back and forth and the trying, we're, we're all, I look back at some of the stuff I've written out there or what I used to believe and you adjust, you change and things change. And if I'm not willing to back up my belief system, first of all, I need evidence to do it. Mm-hmm. And secondly, like all these back and forth, either, well, they, they 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 should change my mind, and if they don't, at least they make me reinforce my points or what I believe in uh, more. Makes me do more research. Exactly. So all, all these all these back and forths, all these conversations we 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 had, and we will continue to have. I just think make us better, just to be able to. I don't know, just continually improve, continually change, and continually like, oh, whoops, I was wrong there let me try to make it right.
2: Yeah. And I think that's,
3: that's, that's a, I, I think the mark of a, someone who's continually evolving.
2: Yeah. We have to argue, we have to disagree and we have to do that in a respectful manner because that's the only way, like you said, that's the only way you grow. It's the only way you improve. I know Ryan, you probably got something more philosophical than, uh, I have to put in on that. But, uh, if you, if you want to add in anything on Carlos, cause it's, it's a pretty impressive resume and I don't think we can fully do it justice in a 30 minute, even introduction.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I want to talk a little bit about him. I don't want to fill his head because it's already full (laughs) of hair. It's already full of hair right now. If you guys aren't watching this on YouTube, uh, Carlos um, was somebody when I was at the angels that I could bounce ideas off easily because he understood the value of science and the practice of science as far as um, evaluating talent uh, and to really, you know, he, he, he thinks like a scientist because, you know, he, he says, you know, some some level, you know, player doesn't pass his eye test, but then when he's looking at some of the data points that we have, you know, it can change his mind otherwise. And, and you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, you know, looking at running gait and, you know the value of the 60 yard sprint i remember i was in his office and in oh, yeah. uh, the dominican republic and we 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 finished the day and i think we were in there for a good 2 hours just just talking about sprinting you know you don't you don't get that with a scout because you know most scouts are going by the the timeline of uh, in, in the breakdown of the 60 yard sprint times you know they basically they put athletes in buckets based on this and the the challenging thing for carlos is that he he's dealing with a much younger athlete, an athlete that doesn't have the same physical resources of the athletes that we evaluate, you know, in uh in North America. You know, we're looking at kids that are 14 to 16, you know, opposed to now you got an 18-year-old who's more like a man. And uh there's a big spread of abilities. But what we we're kind of breaking down the the 60 year sprint is like, what does it tell us about? about athletes you know and you look at the acceleration component in that 60 yard sprint and you're you're looking at the elastic component of the 60 yard sprint so for people who have not listened to the podcast you know we like to go into science and the first 20 yards in a sprint is highly acceleration driven usually athletes hit their top speed in baseball around 30 yards and so looking at a split between the 20 yard time and then from 20 to 60 you can see an athlete that's got great elasticity and we had, you know, and basically every 10 yards they're able to get through each 10 yards in a second or less. They're very elastic after 20 yards. So we, we talked about this we were grinding and I was like, you know, the, the, I had gone to some uh, sprint lectures to look at sprinters and I was showing him, you know, how um, you can look at the, the, acceleration position of an athlete and really forecast their abilities on field. And, and a lot of them uh, it, they, they make a number sign. If you if you drew a line through the thigh that's parallel to the ground, you drew a line that was from the head all the way to the toe. You drew a line across the shoulders and you drew a line up for you know the, the forearm and the and the back forearm and in the arm swing, you see a number sign and like he I, I could tell when I was talking to him, I mean the excitement was there. You know that 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 was a a very great experience for me. Being on the performance side and working a little bit in athletic profiling, but to talk to a scout that that really kind of got it and like, you know, just sees some deeper meaning of uh, uh, of looking at athletes. And it's very challenging. And, and I kind of this would kind of lead us into a question for you, Carlos, is, you know, you're now kind of involved in looking at North American players. You're kind of, you know, looking at, you know, an international perspective really it's it's not just you know outside of North America you got these kids too that you're looking at here and I I just would love the listeners to know you know what's the difference you know when you're scouting someone in Latin American countries versus you know a kid from
3: you know Texas like how, how does that all play? Well um I think the best way to answer that is first of all a little tangent on the, the 60 yard thing was to me eye opening I, I have to answer this first because To me, I would would have had probably 10 years worth of where the hell do we do the 60 yard? In what world in baseball do we ever run a 60 yard? I mean, yeah, okay, fine. When you're chasing down a a ball that Babe Ruth over hit over the center fielder's head in the pole grounds. Okay, so the guy runs 150 feet to the 483 sign, but hardly ever do you run 180 feet in a straight line in, in baseball. So I, I just never got into it. And I was that guy in 2009, 10, I was by myself getting 30 yards on everybody and trying to fit it in a best fit line to try to predict what a 60 time would be. And, but I just never got, to, nobody ever told me like, why are we, why are we doing this 60? And when, when, when Ryan gave me this dissertation on <laughs> elasticity, I was like, oh thank you. It just made me, it just made me like, okay, I got a reason why it's, 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 I don't, we were all told, right. When we were pitchers and we were younger, Hey, if you're sore, run, if you're sore, run. And I'm like, why? Like I, I got, got nothing to do with throwing. And then one coach, me and told, well, when you run, like your blood starts circulating, you repair better. Like, bro, you could have told me that like 10 years ago and I would have ran way more. So I just, the, I need a reason why. And, and, and Ryan was able to do that for me with, with many things, including that 60 yard thing, um, but getting back to the, what's the difference between international and domestic, I think you hit, you hit part of it is training isn't the same uh, in general. Now we're, we're gonna talk in general, the, the way I think about it kind of domestic amateur and international, obviously, the pen, let's assume that they're the same age range. Let's assume they're 15 and 16. In general, the domestic player will have had a little more specialized training in general. And on the international front, and we're talking more like Latin America, that which is what I know most. It's a little more um, it now, it's getting better, it's getting more modern and whatnot, but it's sort of like if you remember Rocky Four, uh, Drago and Rocky training in Russia, right? Like so, Drago is running around with all the bells and whistles, and Rocky was out there in the snow and you know picking up family mem- family members. And so it's not quite like that that dramatic, but the training the training age is as a prote taught me is different, and the specialization is a little bit different uh, in, in Latin American players in general. Now there's some, there are some agents that do, or, and some kids that, that have a lot of access to, uh, specialized training, but that's, that's really where it comes down to. It's just very well, the training and not, not to mention their culture and how they eat. And, uh, it's, it's a, a, just a myriad of difference, of differences between those guys.
2: Real, real quick. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the nutrition on how those guys are eating, and if you don't mind, just kind of giving a little bit more background on that because that's one of the things we touch on a lot for the yeah. guys who have listened. Is the issue I've run into, and I've gone back into working in the private private sector now uh, after after uh, finishing up with the Angels and having a lot of conversations, and that's been one of the huge things is nutrition for that age range is so so poor, especially here in the States, like we have more access to food, but we make bad choices. Um, if you don't mind going over that, because I, I really want to hammer home how grateful people should be with the options of nutrition that we have here to, to be some of the best athletic specimens that we can be when it comes down to training and specializing in your sport or whatever it is you want to do. And I always loved going over to the DR. I went there in uh, college uh, we went and we went and played some games there. I went there with the Angels, and just to see how how resourceful the people who are serious about it get is awesome. And I'm sure you got yeah. some better examples than I do.
3: The the uh, nutritional aspect is something that we we try to work on with the Angels a lot. A lot. Um, the and a lot of it is the we you. I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up on rice and beans, and so so do so do most Latin American players. Uh, or, or, or we grew up with, um, or in Venezuela, I grew up with arepas, right, and like mm-hmm. and carby stuff. And though we ignore the role of protein and, you know, and, and non-processed stuff and not overloaded with sodium stuff. And in the, in the U.S. in general, we, to your point, uh, Jordan, we have access, we have more of an access access to it. And we have in general, better funds to, and more availability of something that is not um, rice and beans. And so we we, we tend to, we tend to use that as the quote unquote filler and the kind of the main field source sometimes. And and a lot of our athletes, I think a lot of our Latin American athletes just, they just don't know. They don't know yeah. that they, they, they're they just not, it, it's not, I mean, it's not intelligence. It's just, they're just, we don't teach them the right thing. We yeah. don't teach them that, that, you know what, like this chicken breast and is chicken breast and getting some protein in you know, is more important than, than uh, we we had an obsession with like uh, at one point in time it's like oh we got to put on weight on them put weight on put weight on, them. Put weight on them. well what weight do you want to put on like you mm-hmm. want to put on like rice and beans weight or do we want want to put you know muscle mass weight
2: I and think so that's I a think, great point rice and beans yeah. weight versus muscle mass and <laughs> right. like I that right. that's and I'm sorry to interrupt but it just like you're saying this and it just reminds me of a conversation we had in the eight pack in between field seventy eight and seventy nine next to Whataburger, you know, and it's, you know, we're sitting there in spring training. We're talking about one of these players who was there for, for our early camps and everything. And he just kept losing weight and losing weight and losing weight. And I remember we were talking, we are just like, man, we don't know why this kid is just, he's looking sickly, you know? And we want this guy going to an affiliate. We want him busting out of camp, ready to roll. And all of a sudden we get the translators over, they start talking. And he's just going like, yeah, I don't like this food. It's just different. And then once he, once he got that education and he got that understanding of Food is not necessarily always for your enjoyment. It's like putting gas in the car, right? You know, like you, you got to put the good fuel in your car. It may not be the most enjoyable thing to gut down because it's so much different than your culture, but you need to make sure you're putting that in you. And then once he started doing that, his energy levels rose, his velo got back to where it was. He started having endurance to go more than 15 pitches. He wasn't running out of gas in the weight room with Croton doing their crazy activations and hip movements and all this other stuff going on that I've never seen before. It's pretty impressive. But yeah. all of a sudden he started making it through a full workout. And next thing you know, he's breaking camp in an affiliate and he's he's cutting through a system all based on understanding that nutrition is not always that comfort food of what mom makes you in the kitchen. Sometimes you're gonna go to college, you're gonna leave you know, Venezuela and you're gonna go play in the Dominican and that's different food over there. And then you go to the Dominican and you get to play in the States and that's different. And then you go from Arizona to the Midwest. And that's a completely different nutritional palette there. And then you go to the Southern league and that's a different nutritional palette. And you need to just understand that regardless of where you're at, that nutrition's to fuel your performance. It's not necessarily always an enjoyment thing. It can be, but we need to understand, are we eating for performance or are we eating for pleasure some of those times? And right. there's nothing wrong with either one of them. I, I want
0: to just jump in on this because this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, you know, on the performance side. You now, one of the things that happened when we get the uh, Latin American players over into the U.S. is that our food is not really suiting their taste buds. So we were having a lot of issues. We we're showing the trajectory of the North American athlete, their, their lean mass gain. So generally between the ages of 18, 22, this is really well-known research that the, the athlete typically gains 10 kilograms or 22 pounds. That's usually what happens in a North American player. Now, for the Latin American player, it's a lot more uh, of a difficult task. You know, a lot of them are coming in um, very lean, lean bodies, their bone structure. You know, Jordan said it right. It was perfect. He's like, you know, when you describe a, a player's body, are they a fungo bat? Are they a baseball or a brick? You know, these dudes are mostly fungo bats. Okay, so they don't have the carrying capacity for mass to begin with. And you couple that with them not liking the food, there was a point in time where I had a strength coach sit in with them and watch these kids eat because I said, you know what? Like we tell them what they need to do. Um, we've shown them. We've had numerous presentations. Our GM came in to talk to a bunch of our our Latin players to tell them, you know, if you don't weigh 180 pounds, it's going to be tough for me to promote you as a pitcher or a position player. Like there's the the population of players under the, the weight of 200 pounds in the big leagues is scarce, you know, and a lot of these guys were, were not getting the point. So we had to put a straight coach out there to watch them eat. And when you looked at their, the proportion of food on their plate, you know, some of them would eat a lot, but they wouldn't eat eggs, you know, like the, and, and unfortunately eggs, were like the only protein that we put out on a regular basis. I, I wouldn't call the food that we had at the complex to be the top-notch food. <laughs> I mean I can I can see there's been some days where I'm like oh, man I don't know if I can touch this mystery meat <laughs> you know I don't know what this is. But I will tell you they that we need to and if majorly people are listening, we need to find a way that you influence a little bit more of the cooking culture to be Latin oriented for those kids. And I know it's like, you know, this isn't something that everybody can participate in, but if there's a way, you know, which they can expedite their development time, it's through training and it's through eating. It is so much a skill for these athletes. It's not funny. And you know, a lot of these players, we even took them out of competition. They played less games. We needed them in the weight room. We knew that we need to get their weight up. You know, we need to get their weight up. There was uh, one of the players that we had, Jorge Tavares. The, oh my the guy goodness. was yeah, the guy was like five six, him, yeah. yeah, nasty curveball. You know, threw in the low nineties, could jump forty two inches. Like he was just an unreal athlete, full of power, but he had no mass. You know, he had no mass. If he if he ran into you at full tilt, you know, he's going down, and you're not standing. You could you could blow him over. He's, you know, we had to figure out a way to gain weight on these guys and, and really it's in the food and the habits and, you know, I kind of want to, you know, bring in our, uh, our technology, but I, I was part of a research study that actually evaluated the Latin American player's shoulder strength versus the North American player's shoulder strength. Now comparison between them is that the Latin American player actually has greater strength relative to their body weight. But that's only because they're very light and they're small. Now, the American player has a lot of absolute strength. That means their total raw strength measures for their shoulders were very high comparatively. And they could throw harder. So, you know, in terms of the comparison between these two groups, like, you know, we need to have a good process of understanding how can we boost arm strength? You know, and the, and the athletes, they, they like Carlos said, they all have their training backgrounds in all different places. Um, you know, some of them didn't really have a, an arm-specific training routine uh, coming in, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, a lot of them, um, some of them had, like, orthopedic imbalances. You'd see some winging scapula. They'd be missing posterior strength. You know, these guys, if they did go to a gym, you know, they love doing a lot of bodybuilding type of stuff um and uh, as young athletes and it was very challenging on the flip side we did get a guy from carlos uh alexander ramirez uh-huh. who should be who should be playing for the arizona cardinals you know as a tight end <laughs> like this guy was was built out of uh you know uh diamonds he was, he was similar to me hard. very similar build yeah yeah very very yeah. similar to jordan um you know but finding those athletes at at 16 years old this kid came in i thought he was 22 I mean, I don't think he was 22, no. <laughs> but he, no. he was, he was, he was so developed as an athlete. Um, and it just looked like he had a life of, of training for football, playing football, you know, great acceleration. He was a heavier body. I think he was like 215, something like that. When we got him, he was a monster, but you don't see those players. You know, when, when you see those players in the DR and, 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 You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Carlos, you see a player like that in the DR that plays baseball pretty decently, but has physical stature. Those are guys that
3: make money, correct? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think we're any different than any other sport in the world that given the choice between 5'10", 170, if they move the same way, 5'10", 170 and 6'3", 220, and they move in similar ways, the 6'3", 220 guys... In theory, better potential, it's just because he's got more stuff to him, yeah, you know, he's got more umph to him, right? Right? There's more potential energy. There's more. There's longer levers. There's just more. There's more muscle mass. So, so those guys are going to get paid. Yeah. Given that they have some degree of baseball skill, and sometimes they don't have much baseball skill, but we pay them anyway because yeah. we we think, oh well, we'll make them a baseball player. Yeah, that's one. Oh, I just want to. I just want to kind
0: of go on in there. This is what I thought was interesting about Carlos because he would find some of these players that you know would sign for a bag of chips, really. Now, you know, you're you're bringing them in, but he he saw the skill level um, on on some of these players, these undersized players, um, and we brought them in, and it was just so interesting because there there were some high responding players. You know, I'm not saying that every Latin player we brought in. Wow. Um, they didn't gain weight. You know, some of these guys, they responded really well. And you can kind of see some of the players that have come in um, like the Hector yawns. I think you had Jose Suarez, right? Uh Carlos, sure, like, Yeah. Yeah. Some of these guys, they, 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 they become pretty physical specimens um, quickly in, in our development program. And that's kind of, I, I give kudos to our strength coaches and you know how they worked with these players. Um, But I just think that's just amazing when you can find a a player that you can forecast their talent, you know, as a scout and and they don't have all the physical resources right away. But you you can see them developing, you can see their bodies kind of grow into themselves. And, um, you know, it's it's been a pleasure to work with the players he brings in because, you know, they're hungry. A lot of those guys are hungry. They're really hungry. They, they know, you know, for those of you who are listening and you never seen a DR complex, you know, some of these places, they're sleeping 16 guys to a room. Yeah. You know, these kids are signing, they're sleeping 16 guys to a room. I know when I was with a former team, I'm not going to mention the name. Kids are sleeping on the floor. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, on two inch uh, mattresses and, you know, just piled up on each other you never seen something like that I'm sure it's changed
2: apparently never um, played indie ball yeah
0: <laughs> but yeah you know but 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 to kind of talk to them it's just like you know they they're hungry and you know a lot of these guys like you, the, the North American kids take it for granted you know at some point you know they 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 do I've I've, I've been with a few that I've I've seen that, you know, they come from great families. They don't have their parents have jobs They're making money, you know, and you got these, these Latin kids that they're sending money home. They're not making much money, you know, and, and the motivator. So I did a psychometric test. And for people that don't know psychometrics, it's basically the analytics of psychological and behavioral attitudes. So I did a psychometric analysis of motivation for players. And I wanted to know how are players motivated Um, by age, where they come from, and, and, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, their love of the game, money, their status in society, um, you know, a few different things. But when it came to the Latin player, their motivation was taking care of their families. Some of them even had that particular motivator greater than the passion for the game themselves. And that was very unique because I did not see that in a lot of North American players until they hit double A AA or triple A. And the reason being is because they had children and they had wives. So now it's shifted. But but when you see that and, you know, those those young players, you know, you can't imagine like I can't imagine being 16 years old. You know, I just first get signed, you know, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting into a major league team. So July 2nd sign and I'm just kind of figuring my way out. And, and playing in these kind of, you know, backfield leagues they are called the tricky league. When you're uh, mm-hmm. a youngster like that and you're in a pro team, you're not really doing the stuff that the everyday uh, Latin player are, are are playing. And, you know, they're playing for their families, man. You know, we're teenagers. You know, we're playing for fun. We're playing right. with our friends. We're playing, you know, because we love baseball. We're watching it on TV. Another crazy thing about, you know, the Latin players that Carlos would bring in, we had an instructional league. And I was saying in the instructional league, you know, I talked to a lot of these players, talked to a handful of our Latin players, and they never had seen a major league game. They had never seen a major league game. And they're, they are professional baseball players with a major league organization. And so I said, we need to set up a game where we go in an instructional league to watch the Arizona Diamondbacks play. It's the only local team here in Arizona that we're playing in, you know, September. And, you know, you go there and you watch the kids' faces, you know, there's a, there's a few of those kids that didn't even talk, you know, they were just kind of like taking it in and, you know, right there, it kind of clued me into in mine. mind. I'm like, you know, this, this is a different type of baseball player, you know, this yeah, is and, different all, all around.
3: And not to interrupt you, but, but the, I think a lot of it is um, I, I've adopted this context is everything uh, approach, mantra in my life uh, recently. And a lot lot of people, myself included, just at first didn't understand the motivations for, in general, like with the Latin American players that we dealt with. And until you've been there, until you've been, and, and you see them at the complex, I mean, sometimes when we see them at their homes and where they train before we sign them, it's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking where they come from and the, the level of poverty sometimes that you run into. I, I shouldn't even say sometimes, oftentimes. So when you start seeing their motivation and that baseball's a way out, you can see where the hunger comes from. And so unless you've been, I, I hear colleagues um and others say, "Oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he'd do something like that." Well, you you never you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to be, you know, very impoverished and not be able to afford food, and you know, just not, not have a, the family structure that you that you think that is common more or more common in North America. So until you've been there, um, what's uh, Everlast song right? What it's like. That one, I I reference it often because unless you know what it's like, Mm -hmm. it's it's tough to really render judgment. Yeah, and just to touch
2: on that is, I had always heard people tell me about it, but until the first time I went to the Dominican Republic, and you're just literally driving down a dirt path, and then all of a sudden there's there's a village in a sense made of sheet metal, yep, or you know cardboard houses or whatever it may be, and you don't fully understand it until you've been there. And it really helps you understand, number one, how awesome that culture actually is, because, you know, what they do with the cards that they're dealt in the sense is absolutely impressive. And I have, you know, we, we got to try to get him on the show at some point, but Jim got, oh. you know, he was like the mayor of Boca Chica, you know, like. He would, he would go there, he'd be in the villages, he'd be in those small little cities doing everything there, just awesome stuff with those young kids. And he would be making sure that when they came over to the States that they were getting the treatment of going like, hey, look, look at what's look at what you have this opportunity for. Let's get your family set up. Let's find a way to make you successful. And of all the people I've ever worked with, you know, Ryan, you're fantastic with it as well. But Jim got was 150% in it for those Latin American players. And that's one of those things like, you know, with that, I've never personally had an issue with maybe one or two guys that you, that you had signed and sent over, but you do a fantastic job of not only finding an athlete, but finding someone who's character driven as well. Like you don't, I never really had an issue with the guys. Some people did, but I always loved almost every single player you brought over. And I remember, I I don't know if you want to talk about it or not, but you had a rule called, uh, there was, I won't use the name, but there was a a right-hander who me and you both loved big stride, huge hip and shoulder separation, great torso direction. He was like 82, 84 when we signed him, me and you were both like, this kid's going to throw hard. Everyone told us we were crazy. He ended up throwing really, really hard uh you know who i'm talking about you have a rule that you put in place with that player's name it do you mind talking about that a little bit
3: <laughs> i think you
2: know what i'm talking about i think you know
3: well okay let me let me cut for a second and we can edit this out later who, who is it Cedric franco yes yeah yeah and so um it is exactly yeah so the uh I guess we, we we can. Yeah, I don't if know you if you want to, to
2: talk about that or not. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity.
3: I, I, yeah, I'll. I'll uh, we have we have the
2: awesome blank, blank story rule. coming up. Awesome the blank story. blank
3: the blank blank rule, right? The and so. Well, hell, like we 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 should just mention his name, um, Sadarak <laughs> Franco. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he he. So one of the great things about being in baseball for so long now um, is. You, man, you, things that you, not only others teach, you, like baseball people teach you, but the kids themselves teach you. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember we, Cedric Franco, we bring him in, we fly him for the first, first time ever flying. We bring him in from Panama. We, and we had a, a tryout with him and several other players from different countries. Uh, and most of them were Venezuelan. And so we bring in Franco. Actually, the other ones were Venezuelan. So it was Franco and I want to say three or four of the Venezuelan players we brought in. We joined them with the Dominican players and had a had a uh, had a tryout at the complex. And so the Franco rule was don't 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 no the basically a no excuses rule because Franco we flew him in from Panama. His first ever flight, not to, not not just flight out of the country. His first ever flight. Period. We stick him in, like, um, with uh, some other players that he did not know. And then the following day, he just dealt, dealt. Now, he, he's sitting 84, 85, and had the m- mechanical markers. But what impressed me most was that that kid got out there, have it after a, a, a flight, or two flights, as a matter of fact, flight in a place where he'd never been to, we put him in there and he just deals like he's a veteran. And so the rule was like, don't give me, don't, don't give me that excuse that, that, um, you ran into traffic, um, go come into the complex and don't, don't give me that. It's like, we stuck this kid, you know, on a plane, put him in. And he was a 14. Weird, no, I, I think was he, was he, he, had, he just turned, no, he had just turned 16. Okay. At the time. Still, we know, sick, like, still crazy you know, crazy like, young kid and so it's like don't 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 get me started with these all these other uh if if some of the other guys during that tryout did not perform as well uh, yes they could have been not as great that day and they may have not slept as well but sadrak franco like did that came in and dealt in a in, in a situation that wasn't set up for him to succeed mm-hmm. uh, your excuses are, are are invalid to me <laughs> you know and that's, like, and that's what amazing. i love about it
2: is it there's amazing. so many even 20 year olds 22 year olds 24 year olds that came in from college and they're like oh well i didn't get to have my normal post workout shake and that's why i didn't have yeah. a great great game i didn't get my start off i wasn't it's just like look yeah and so, and so con- you're dealt to man. me
3: yeah context the, this the context of everything is I, I, we, we, there's a player that we, um, but by the way, on the, on the character side of things, I think we, um, I give that a lot of credit to our guys because we we really hammered that home and they went out and, and found players that not only fit that what we were looking for on a, on a movement pattern point of view, but on the, on the want part of it, they checked that box as, as it may not all of them, but most of them. And so the, um, what was I saying?
2: <laughs> uh, on the character aspect.
3: <laughs> on the character aspect. So I think the the, hmm. the context part of it is, you know, to your point about uh, playing the cards you have dealt. And so always trying to remember, I've, I've had players that, you know, our guys were like, hey, this, we want this guy. We want this guy. And we ended up signing him. And I think he's going to get to the big leagues that just saw me like i, I we're, we're i came in to do the kind of final check or whatnot or just to see you know just kind of cross check and i've seen guys just melt on the mound in front of me completely hyperventilate in front of me because they know i'm or they think that i'm the final decision maker, and just had a brutal outing but our guys were insistent enough that he was good enough so i've, I've so again the context of it is important mm-hmm. just like hey this guy just just flaked in front of me but he's hasn't in front of our other uh, scouts and in other competitions so therefore again just evaluating the context of it all if a guy just exactly yeah I, i've had i've told other agents um when we go to a, to a, to their to their their field to evaluate other prospects it's like hey do you have a like a young kid who hasn't been exposed to this type of environment, throw him out there. Let him mess up in front of me, you know, and in front of us. We're we're not gonna render judgment. And we know he's 14. we know this is his first time. Let him let him get his mm-hmm. nervousness out here in front of us in a in a non-threatening situation, so that in his next few trials, now he's got experience of like, oh, poop. like I have boss yeah. man looking, you know, whatever the director looking at me. Now he's experienced. So let him, let him do it in a, in a non-threatening situation where we're not going to be like, Hey guys, it's this first. Time. Let him, let him get the kinks out.
2: Yeah. Ryan, you know? I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question. I know you probably have a question in, in the holster right now, but I have one that's very on par with this and it goes back to a conversation. One of the first conversations I ever had with Carlos as well. Um, talking about that context. And, you know, for me again, context is the keys to the kingdom when you're come to evaluation and I remember me and you were sitting in the stands in spring training. We were on, I think we, were, we might've been at like a ho-ho camp or something like that. And me and you, I'm learning how to do scouting because my whole background is player development. You know, like I need to start learning the 2080 scale and you're, you're helping me along with that. And we're watching, at the time it was Mania. I think me and you were watching Mania pitch is who it could have mm-hmm. been. He went like three innings, something like that. And, you know, he absolutely dealt. And there was another scout there with us No, no, he struggled. He really struggled. And he, you know, it's towards the end of spring training. There's one scout with like the blue Jays or the Rangers, something like that sitting next to "Ah, this guy's a group three. He's awful. He's never going to be any good. And then you're just kind of like, Hey, look, he's having a bad outing, but context is important. You may catch this guy on the best day of his life. You may catch this guy on the worst day of your life. So your initial judgment helps just solidify your gut feel off what this guy's career is. And you didn't word it exactly like that, but you—it right. you, was something along those lines. And if you don't mind, kind of, kind of going over that a little bit of, you know, adding context to your evaluations.
3: Yeah, and I think this is part of some. Sorry of the, to put you on the, the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I think it's a great, it's a great comment, great question because I think part of the way scouting has changed, or in my opinion, should change, is we get in, in general. Scouting, we we get, and not just for for Minaya, um For anybody, we really go and scout. We're getting a thin slice of that player's overall career in that outing. So my opinion, okay, my opinion matters, but let's put it into context of everything else he's accomplished and what he's done. I, I, and I gave I, I gave this, and I forget when it was. I think it was two thousand and nine. 08 or 09. I go watch Johan Santana pitch in Yankee Stadium, and he gives up nine, nine or ten in like three, three and a third, something like that. Now that wasn't peak Johan. That was an 80 Johan, but it was like 65, 70 Johan. He's still like really, really good. Mm-hmm. I, I, and when top, you say
2: 65, 70, just so people, know, oh, you're talking 2080
3: scale. Yeah, 2080 scale. I'm yeah. sorry. Just so I'm, anyone I'm talking, who's my listening bad. doesn't
2: know, yeah, <laughs> I get
3: to use it. I, <laughs> I use that all the time. And uh, okay, I'm talking like he's still a number one starter maybe just not el, uber elite but it's still one of the top 20 mm-hmm. starters in the big leagues and he goes in and he gives up nine in three and a third give up maybe one or two home runs in yankee stadium they lose i don't know 12 13 15 to nothing and he had his bat his worst outing of the year and what am i going to do in a scouting report to say oh what the way i put it is what's more like that Johan Santana is completely falling off the cliff or I just got a really bad outing. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't command his change. Like he, not even he, his command was off. He didn't have his change up that day for whatever reason. He couldn't get that fastball in. And it's just a report that you go, you know, just didn't have it today. What am I going to put below average command on Johan Santana because that day he had below average command. No, he just happened to run into a team that ran into a team. and just didn't have a day. Just didn't have mm-hmm. his day. And so I think it's important to to to, uh, something that that I passionately believe in scouting is that a lot of us and oh it's what I saw well like there's so much information out there that what you saw is important but it's not the whole picture and so all the information is out there that you're able to you know yes I saw this day. And that could mean something, but it may not. Um, I, I, I'll give you another example. I think it's, it's a, actually this happened this past year. I saw a guy in A, a ball or high A that in a two inning outing, he threw uh, 27 pitches. I want to say he threw 22 strikes. Like, wow, this guy threw some strikes. And, he was, uh, and he's mid to upper 90s, by the way. It's like, oh, this guy threw some strikes. I look him up and he had walked, I want to say 35 guys in 25 innings. What's more likely Mm -hmm. that he figured it out the day I saw him or that it was his best day of the year. Mm -hmm. And so now it could mean that he made a mechanical change. It could mean that he had a different mindset change. It could mean that, but what's more like the the way I phrase it was what's more likely. Well, I probably caught him on his best day. It's probably not the best way to evaluate and say, Oh, this guy throws strikes. Well, everything else he's done refutes that.
1: Yeah. And And and, and real quick
2: on that. Oh, go ahead, Bart.
1: I was going to say that that just takes a lot of humility to understand that, hey, my perception is not the full picture. And I've got to be able to look and go straight to looking at the evidence and and the research and the data and saying this is I've got to put this where it really belongs and take my what I'm seeing on this particular day in context goes back to your context.
2: Yeah. Just based off that conversation I had with Carlos, you know, he, he helped me so much and he may not realize it until today, but in terms of the mentorship he gave me on the evaluation of a player was unreal for how much he taught me. And again, we were in, uh, Inland Empire in 2016, uh, man, we'd just come off one of those miserable series of having to drive to Lancaster followed up by high desert there. High Desert's not even in that league anymore. So people are grateful. Should be very grateful there. Um, but it was early in the season and I had watched a whole group of guys pitch. And again, I caught them on the best outings they ever had. They, and again, at that, you know, at that time, we didn't win a whole lot of games that year. We had guys that were young for level on the offense and they were striking everyone out and their dog that came to the plate. And I just thought these guys, man, they must be really, really good. So I'm putting in these reports. These guys are P sixes prospect. These guys are group sixes. They're middle of the rotation starters. These guys are unreal, you know? And then I see them two months later. And then all of a sudden, oh, now you're performing at your average, you're kind of spraying balls over there. You got to be careful in the stands because you might get ricocheted by a, a wild pitch, you know, and no one's digging it in the box because nobody knows where it's going. They're still throwing hard. That the breaking ball is loopy and rolly. And then it's you know, I have that conversation with Carlos when he comes in town around the all-star break. I'm going, Man, my evaluation here. When you look at that line score, you're like, Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. But then you look at my evaluation 90 days later. And you go, what did I just – what did I write? What did I see there? And that's where you gave me that context even more in depth. Hey, you probably cut that guy on his best day. Now you're but, catching him on what seems to be realistic.
3: <laughs> well, but, but uh, I guess to your point, and, and I've, I've heard this from other, um, from other evaluators, other scouts, from other teams, and they're – whether they're asked to just see what they wrote or um, write what write what they saw or put it all together – some, some of them say, well, I'm just asked to see, to write what I saw because our, we have all these other reports in the system. Now I'm not really sure if that's true. <laughs> that might just be a kind of a cop-out for not doing research. But I think some of them, some, some uh, office, front offices want their guys to see, to, to write what they saw. And then they, they'll put it together in the office, you know, with analytics and other reports and whatnot. I don't see it that way because my report should be a, and I got taught this by the first guy that got hired me, uh, Jerry DePoto. here's what you see, here's what you know, and put it together. And, and like now you can, you can balance it out with what you saw or what you know, when in Johan Santana's case, that day I, I used what I saw more, or what I knew more than what I saw on a young 15-year-old, 14-year-old that I'm seeing in Latin America, I'm probably going more with what I saw. It just really depends. It just really depends. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to balance that out.
0: One of the yeah. things though I, I like about you know the way that you operated too is that you trusted your guys. I could tell that the the scouts that worked for you were very um, empowered. Um, They felt they had a voice like I I just, you know, Geo in particular, I remember having conversations with him and you Um, and you know, I think that also is a super important thing for scouts is that they, you know, you need to trust your guys who are watching these, these players, you know, often. And, uh, you know, in any field of of baseball, it's the same thing in high performance. If, If you have to feel like you're you're looking over the shoulder of the people that you've employed, you know, you really didn't make a good hire. That doesn't make you a better leader, in my opinion. And I think that's one of the things too. When you talk about context, which you know, writing what you saw, um, looking at the history, you know, you got these people that are working for you who are giving more. You know, they're getting more eyeballs on this player regularly. But I think you know the the umbrella of everything is where you have confidence in the selection. So that's something too I noticed. You know, particularly in the way that you work, Carlos, and just talking to the people who work for you, they they've been really happy. Um, I appreciate that. You
3: trust them, you know, you trust them. That comes from years of, um, of getting humbled. Mm -hmm. Baseball does that for you, right? Like look up the stuff I wrote back in the day, man. Some of it is just garbage. And you, you find out, oh, I don't know everything. I, you know, I came in thinking, oh, I got this. No, I don't, no, I don't. And so you start listening to other people and their arguments are better than yours. Well, that 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 one wins. That argument wins. Um, Alexander Ramirez, you mentioned him. The last day I saw him live was brutal. A couple of our guys go see him in the week after, and they tell me, no, man, what you saw was just a what, – what, just doesn't count. All right. And we went with it. We went with it. Because the, the people that saw him that day, I trusted. Frankie and Frank. Frankie Thon, who now works for Seattle, and uh, Frank De Geada, who – um, works for us in the Dominican Republic said, Hey, no, man, like you just saw, you caught him on a really bad day. Like, all right, I trust you guys. And it happens and all I the think time.
2: These are just so important. Well, and, and Jordan, man, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, like, no.
3: we, 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 we would talk about this, um, arm action, right? Like arm action doesn't matter. Does it matter? Does it not matter? And I think it does. And you were at the had, or, you know, and I think you do too, it's just, you paint a different, uh, a different way. Mm-hmm. And, but the fact that you're able to you said it a certain way that made me look like oh you know what like maybe maybe it doesn't matter as much as I think. um Ryan, you guys were talking about I, I saw the podcast recently right about about strength versus um, about the you know arm action,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I may disagree with you guys, but it it's got me. You have evidence, so I have to rethink it. I have to rethink it and. And think. Wait a second. Is it it mostly strength, or is it the path of the arm, or and how it's released, and whatever it does on its way there, and on its way, you know, finishing or whatnot? Mm -hmm. So I respect (laughs) people that I respect that have evidence or have been through it. They they should make you change your mind, or at least revisit it.
2: And those are discussions that we've had a ton on arm path. you know, obviously, you know, the back foot and what it's doing. We've had a ton of discussions, disagreements. Right. And like, you know, I, I have six and one half dozen in the other. It's like, you know, I I still feel strongly that a pitcher should keep that back foot connected, but I also agree with you that it's not a deal breaker for me, you know? And it's like, you, you've helped me rethink that as well. Um, Even things like, you know, with equal and opposite, you know, and, and I, you know, Ryan's heard me change my tune on that a lot to where I still think it's important but I don't think that's where I'm going to put place all my money on the bet of fixing mm, a guy's right. mechanics as, you know, and again, this, is, this is probably a whole discussion for another time, but you know, me and you have had, you know, little tiny detail things yeah. in the delivery like that, that may or may not be a difference maker. And where do we, where do we want to evaluate that in terms? Right. Of
3: right. That's
2: some fantastic discussions. um, And, and just with that, to, to kind of piggyback on something you said, maybe a minute, and a half ago, two minutes ago, was be aware players that are listening is guys are evaluating you all the time. They're, they're paying attention. You know, Carlos, you're, you're watching what, what, when you're looking at arm path, you really value it. You're watching. Is it changing from your 14 to 15 year old season? Is it changing from 17 to 18? Did it change when he got to high? You are doing your research and you're really diving into what those players doing, not just from a stat line, not from just a culmination of what that output is, but what's the input going into it to address those stats? Is there mm-hmm. something tangibly different? And I think you made a great, great point. And I'm leading up on this big, long talk here. To, you say, if you don't mind, if you can, go over your personal evaluation of kind of what's your checklist of, of checking a player out, um, you know, because you pointed out, did I catch that guy who threw 22 out of 27 strikes on his best day? Or was it likely that he maybe made a mechanical change? If you don't mind touching base on that a little bit without giving too much away of your process.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I think this might sound like a cop-out. <laughs> but it might sound like a cop-out, but I really mean it. And it's, it's just, do they, have I seen this movement pattern before? It's sort of in the big leagues. And, and with, or a high-level thrower or a high-level hitter. Have I seen this movement pattern before? Does it hit the, I've softened my and stance on it? it's not a, a
2: cop-out. It's not a cop-out. I agree with you 100% on this because- okay there was a player with an organization that will not be named that just got to the big leagues. And we'll say, will not be named, but Ryan's going to obviously know, and everyone who's listening is going to know. I've had numerous discussions, sitting in a room saying, this guy's got big league stuff, but I've never seen anyone in the big leagues do what he does. He got to the big leagues this year and had zero success. And he did not have success in the upper minors due to some injuries. It was kind of a necessity to put him there. And I stand by that. It was a movement pattern that I had never seen ever in the big leagues with big league pitch qualities. And it got pummeled around the park.
3: Right, and so it, it, it's, it's um, so the, the way I've sort of softened my stance over the years is, it, it doesn't have to happen this way, but just like aces get cracked, I think it's like 13% of the time against two random cards in uh, Texas Hold'em. I'm going to usually go with the move pattern movement pattern that works the most in, in, in terms of what I've seen before. So I'll place my wager on those guys in general, because that's what I've seen before. So when I see a movement pattern that, that I've seen before or that, like, I'll give you an example on that. Well, that particular picture that I saw uh 22 or 27 strikes, he had, and I don't think this is all that revealing. He had a really wide glove side and really bad like just so what the stat line said was more determined what the stat line said was more probable than what, I, when, what actually happened that day. Because in my opinion, like a wide glove side tends to be very, um, doesn't match up, doesn't correlate with command. Yeah. So and it's, and so I usually it goes to infielders. When I see it bad, like glove side and in the infielders, they, they're usually, usually wild, usually. And so I tend to, to use that movement, move those types of movement patterns to, to, um, to take my, to, to place my wagers on mm-hmm. in, in, as a, as I mean not, you know what I mean? Like to, to yeah, be like, okay, that, that guy, I think that guy's gonna throw strikes because he has this movement pattern that I've seen in the big leagues before. From glove, from glove side, you know, some kind of matching planes with the shoulders, uh, you know, all, all kind of directional issues, whatnot. So, it, I guess it's not a cop out, but it, it's like, have I seen, have I seen that before in the big leagues? Does it work? Um, and and I, I start with that, and then you know, obviously the the there's some degree of athleticism that you did you that you want to see. Preferably the more the better. Um, and then the other thing is uh, an unquantifiable thing is, does he have a kind of it? And does he, does he move does he move it? Does he address pitches a certain way? Does he does he does he have a nose for the ball? Does he have a nose for, you know a hitter making contact uh, on a pitch that, that he probably shouldn't have made contact with? Uh, does a pitcher, Great example, the David right. Fletcher. Fletcher, right? You know, like to and,
2: and and I know we we had our podcast that we haven't we haven't put it out yet on uh, pseudoscience for science, and you were talking about it, and it's like, oh well, is that is that quantifiable? And I use David Fletcher as an example because you can quantify it. You see a hitter take a swing, and he's made an adjustment. Okay, I'm going to shift two steps this way. Hey, I'm going to move it in here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or you use another example. Uh, who's who's a great one to to think about here was. Uh, when he was in Burlington, for instance, Jose Soriano, he's obviously with the Pirates. Now we can talk about him all we want. Uh, but he 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 had those flashes of the it factor to where he would throw a breaking ball and someone would look absolutely devastated. Like What what did I just see? And instead of going, okay, well, I'm going to throw a fastball, he'd spin that breaking ball again, spin that breaking ball again, mm-hmm. and he'd strike a guy out. And the same with, you know, some of the guys, some of the guys like, you know, another one who's not with the Angels anymore, Tulio – or not, not Tulio, um, uh, Wilkel Hernandez. Wilkel. You see Wilkel, and he would do that same thing as, like, he would when – you, when you have a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. But he mm. would throw a fastball, and he would blow it by a guy, and he'd be like, I love my curveball, but this guy's got no shot. And he would just keep doing what he knew he was going to have that success with, even though the game plan said, hey, throw 40% breaking balls or 35% changeups. He goes, no, I'm going to beat this guy with a fastball right here because mm-hmm. I can you know, and it's the same thing as, like, I know I know. we talk about, like, we want quanti- quantifiable things, but I think it's important, like, you've you, you you've quantified, you know, the it factor because you see those guys making the adjustments. You're not just pulling stuff out of a hat and being like, oh, yeah, I think he's got it, you know. You know what you're looking for, and it's a difficult well, it, thing to explain.
3: And it, it, it's difficult for things to explain, but it's also, again, talking about context. Mm-hmm. And uh, this happened this year, and I go into one of our affiliates. And we have, one of our hitters is really, really struggling. And it's a guy that I know, I'm not gonna give away, he's a guy that I know. And he asked me for input. Now, it's just my, my, my look at what I thought I was seeing. And hey, he, his, swings were, was, his swing is fine. I just thought his, he was just getting under the ball. Like his shoulder plane was fine. He was just, he was swinging pitches um, here, with a bat that it was, it was here. And it, it, it was just his shoulders were a little lower. I mean, the swing plane was following his, his normal path. It was fine. It's just whether he was just dipping his head or I don't know what the reason was. So we talk a little bit. I tell him, that, hey, this is something that, that I'm seeing. And I know you know it too. And you know where it hurts you. You know what that, and he was swinging a lot of fastballs up and he just, his swing plane was not conducive to hitting the ball uh, high fastballs or high pitches. So I get, I, I talk to him a little bit and I go, hey, and this whole never, <laughs> I, am, uh, I don't really like ground balls. How's that? Um, but I tell him, hey, you might wanna think about hitting a ground ball. Like, you, <laughs> you know, you might wanna think about getting on top of the ball, right? And so um, and so he goes, yeah, that, you know, that's a good point, this and this. And then he tells me the following. It's like, yeah, the pitcher we're facing today likes to work in and I, guys are working me hard in up so he's gonna throw me that cutter in this is a prospect for another team that's pitching to him he knows him well he's done his research and so that day he usually steps like right online with the pitcher that day he told me you know what i'm just gonna give up give up the uh outer third and i'm just gonna i'm gonna cheat in and cheat in and he was not only cheating in he was like stepping in the bucket fairly significantly um so If another, if I hadn't heard that conversation, if I hadn't had the conversation with him or another scout didn't, didn't know what he was trying to do that day, he, he was, he was just giving up, giving up that, oh, he steps in the bucket. No, he doesn't. He's doing, he's stepping in the bucket that day because he, he thinks he knows where the ball's going and he did it all day. And he got a couple good swings in because he himself said, I'm going to make this adjustment. Now, Long-term I, or I,
2: short-term strategies yeah, and tactics. I've, I've
3: seen I've seen guys in the big leagues do things just to, in, in, as of you guys, just to get through the day, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't have a certain pitch or whatever it may be, and I got to make this adjustment to do something else. And so I was really, really impressed with what that, what that player taught me that day, mm-hmm. but also going, wow, I have insider info. Yeah. I have insider info and all the other scouts watching, they may say, Oh, he steps in the bucket, but he really doesn't. He's just doing it this day because he thinks he knows where the ball's going. And that, again, context, just straight
2: up context. And real quick on that, Ryan, if you want to go on this a little bit and I don't know if you've had this discussion with Carlos before, I know me and you have had these discussions, but high end big leaguers are elite compensators. They'll find a way to get it done. And one of the coolest things is we had we had Tom House on the podcast a little while ago. And you know, he's gonna tell the stories way better than I am. But in a nutshell, Nolan, when he would be throwing his bullpen's Nolan Ryan, most people don't even know who Nolan Ryan is anymore, sadly. These young kids that I'm talking to, but he'd be throwing his bullpen in between, you know, outings, whatever it may be, and he'd go, Tom, keep your mouth shut until I just feel what's gonna work today. And he's just an elite compensator. And that's what those guys do. He's like, I got to find the position that I can throw the ball the way I want to throw it. It's the same thing with that hitter. I got to get into the position that I know I can do when I'm going to hit. So again, I got long winded. I obviously the conversations I've had with Carlos have been awesome, but Ryan, can you talk about being an elite compensator a little bit? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of something this, this is, you know, before we get off the podcast, I wanted to hit on this. I've been kind of sitting with it. Um, but, you know, when you look at a pitcher and you're looking at their delivery, people want to you know, look for something that's repeatable. You know, and is the, is the delivery clean and repeatable? And, you know, I, I, think, I think the compensations, the movement changes, these things are a natural process of fatigue. You know, this is kind of where I get into, this, into our app as being a great scouting tool is because a lot of these guys that have some variability, they they can also be pretty deceptive, you know, and, and I think in, in baseball, I think we're kind of getting away from the deceptive pitcher in some ways because of what the arm action looks like and does the ball get buried behind him or, you know, the ball is coming out of his back hip. And, you know, a lot of these athletes, sure, that have these – you know, non-repeatable kind of funky deliveries. They kind of different every time they might change their arm angle. They might do some different things. Um, some, some teams might want to stay away from them, but where I see the future is that when you evaluate these players, especially if teams are having internal camps and they can look at the shoulder strength of the athlete and not be scared when they see an athlete that says, you know what, in, in terms of, you know, they're developing their own database or they're using ours, You know, they see that this athlete is ranking quite high for their their strength levels, you know, total arm strength and, uh, you know, in basically all the exams that we take and and the, the monitoring process. For me, I think scouting needs to start to go towards the deceptiveness of pitchers. I think we're really worried about injuries, you know, and and it's like nobody has the crystal ball there's so many different factors that go into injuries. And I mean, with the angel, I, I can't even tell you how many times, you know, we were told the uh, scouts would say, he's got really clean delivery, you know, during the draft room, he's highly athletic, you know, all these things. And the kid would break down, you know, in the first, first month, first six weeks of the season. Um, and, and just for whatever reason, you know, sometimes it would be a college player that hadn't thrown for a while since the draft. And, you know, he's in the mix and, uh, you know, there's some workload issues, but it, it really comes down to strength. Where I think, you know, when we look at these compensations and we look at the deceptiveness in these pitchers, if we can come at it from a lens of, okay, if I bring this guy in, I'm going to have a heavy monitoring process. So, you know, there's a pitcher um, that we brought in. Uh, I won't give his name, but the, the kid the kid threw routinely for one year at 100 miles an hour. he touch it every like four or five games. Big, big boy. I watched his video, um, you know, and, and, you know, the ball was like hooked behind him for a long period of time. And then it looked like it was coming from behind the left handed batter's head. I mean, when you watch him, but you put him on slow motion and it was like it took forever for his arm while he was in contact with the ground to start flipping up. So, you know, when you watch a pitcher that's really disconnected, his trunk is already, you know, you see the guy's trunk already at home plate. So everything's facing forward and the arm is still working back. It's still trying to cock back. And that little delay, you know, a lot of people look at them and like, man, there's an energy sink problem. Like he's, he's rotating, he's stopping his rotation. And then all of a sudden the arm still, the arm's still trying to go back because he's, he's already, you know, I, I know who you're play. talking about. Yeah. You know, that, you know forget, that I have
2: hurt. I have a counterpoint to what you're saying here.
0: Well, he, I mean, he threw, he threw noise, but I feel like, you know, going back to the things, you know, when I, when I saw him, I said, you know, this, this pitcher is is going to have an injury, you know, he, he is the way I'm seeing it and he ended up getting Tom John surgery. It happened not right away. took a couple of years, but if we had a better process in place to say where his strength levels were, I would know that when he comes in, you know, we knew anyway, his, his arm uh, action was, you know, questionable, but um, you know, if we had a great monitoring process for that athlete or we evaluated him coming in, I would have had a lot of confidence to say, you know what, this guy's got a, a funky delivery, but he's in the 99th percentile for total arm strength based on this particular application. I'm pretty confident that he's going to last a while. And if we don't, I mean, the whole thing was, let's try to move him up in the system as fast as possible to see what happens because he threw so hard um, and just automatically put him in a closing role, a relieving or a closing role. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just see that that's going to be the future of, of how we need to look at athletes because there's a premium in my mind to be deceptive. You know, there were guys when I played, I wasn't a great player. I was a good hitter. I thought I was a good hitter. Um, but, you know, I, I remember playing in Israel one year I faced a guy throwing 100 miles an hour who had the cleanest delivery and i swear i could see it i could see the ball the whole time it was crazy to me um and and he would always get me out on sliders he didn't throw his heater he he would kill me with sliders because i was always expecting the heater but um you know then there'd be some other like junky left-hander that i couldn't catch the ball and it would be so late and i'd be like you know everything kind of came from a different position so i couldn't tell um, and I always said to myself, you know, some of these, the deception, how long the ball's hidden is so, I think, so unique to, to, to pitchers, especially when they can locate and, and they, they, you know, they give this variability for a batter and they're good with mixing speeds. Um, but I, I just see this, you know, without going into a long tangent, I see the armcare.com platform. Being and, a great scouting,
3: coach, scouting, and and, and I'll use uh, I'll interrupt you for a second and say that you know that guys that throw the ball Jordan I'm going to borrow your terms here throw the balls really late and throw the balls really uh, like to throw the ball in the air I borrowed that one from you by the way, um thanks and, and so <laughs> that their, their 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 timing patterns are not standard, mm-hmm. so one of them I mean I'd rather have throw the guy I would rather have the guy throw the ball really really late than throwing in the air. For many reasons, but both of them are deceptive because, in general, there's like a certain time, and I think this we're yeah. we're going we're going there in the future. We're gonna we're we're able to quantify. I've been not to give away the house, but there there we'll be able to quantify how early or late a, a, throw, a guy throws a ball. Mm-hmm. Um, we should be, in my opinion, we should be doing it now. And so, uh, in terms of timing for the hitter, so. I think we'll be able to quantify it in the future. Yeah, it, 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 right right now, or as, as, we, as we stand, I think we go a lot with what um, Ryan's saying is like, man, I just can't, I can't see the ball until he's on top of me." or I see the ball like a beach ball uh, the, the entire time, because he's not deceptive. So I think, I think we'll be able to eventually quantify that. Um, so, but for the time being, for the time being, I think I, how the hitters react.
2: I I now have another counterpoint. So I got, I'm going to address Carlos's first and then I'm going to address just Croton's because we need to have some controversy Um, with what Carlos is saying, like nine times out of 10, I want the hitter to throw not in the air, which means they're getting that foot down and then they're rotating. But we did have a guy that we acquired uh, from Houston and we all know who I'm talking about. Uh, We got him in, I think it was 2017, something 2017 or 2018. And, He threw the ball in the air. But the caveat that I put in there was if we fix this guy, he loses his fastball. It gets flat. For him to be on, he needs to be able to go fastball changeup. And very similar to like a Matt Shoemaker. Matt Shoemaker's throwing that ball Mm -hmm. in the air. But when you have a split finger like that, or even like a Nick Tropiano, back when, when Tropiano's really cruising and he can get that split finger there, you can throw the ball in the air and be almost unhittable. Because for the guys who've seen Nick Tropiano go well or Matt Shoemaker go well, it's, it's pretty to watch. It's really fun. And this player that I'm referencing has got to the big leagues and he's had plenty of success with a funky delivery. And if we would have fixed him and cleaned this, this left-hander up, he would not be, he wouldn't get out of double A at the end of the day. That's just the way that it works. And we had a guy that we drafted and that was one of my big caveats with that as well as like, do not fix this guy. He is big league ready. If we change him, we lose his fastball. We cleaned him up. We made him pretty. And his fastball lost two inches of induced vertical break. It's like, well, don't do that. Maybe don't let's let's just let this guy be who we, we just paid him roughly $4 million for three and a half million dollars for. And that's my caveat. So nine times out of 10. Yeah. I, I want that guy not throwing in the air, but there is the instances for a mix of deception and performance as well as health, because now you change those guys and they usually end up with low back issues. A lot of times they end up with low back issues because they're used to throwing such a certain way for Nineteen years, and then we change him. That's my my uh, my my uh, disclaimer, I guess, with what we were just talking about there. And then to Ryan with his arm path, you know, the 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 guy with the risky arm path throwing a hundred miles an hour. I just want to point out he never had an arm issue until they cleaned up his arm path. Cleaned him up, right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Carlos was talking about the timing of that rotation, and it was perfect. Carlos put it on a tee perfectly for me uh, to help me prove my points. Uh, wasn't intended, but you know, I'm every once in a while, I got to boost my ego. Cause I'm usually just taking yeah. lumps. I'm usually here in the trenches, <laughs> taking grenades. Um, but he had an, a good kinematic sequence, his pelvis and torso. They were rotating fine. It, there was, wasn't great. It wasn't bad. He, he was good. And then we changed that arm path to, to get him in a, in a beneficial spot. And now we're taking a hundred miles an hour and running it across the new, what's the word Croton cross section. Am I using I that right?
0: You're using, you're, 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 changing. Well, basically when you, what change am I trying these, to say? You're, you're changing the tension, the, the tension. The, yeah, t- time the tension, on tension. yeah.
2: And we're switching that across this guy's now his new arm path. And then we're confused as to why he got hurt. You know, we, 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 and I think it was yeah. uh, kill him with the cure. You know,
3: I, I, we run into this all the time where it's, it's, if, it, and that's this is why the the, again, it's in general in, we, we, we want to see this but allow yourself some room yes who because unique works and mm-hmm. sometimes you know and yeah. so it, it, just like just like if you um you know what in this organization we put our pants on the left leg first and uh, my right leg down first
1: yeah no no we're gonna
3: do a left leg that guy is gonna not struggle but it's gonna be a little weird like his body might twist a little differently if he puts his left leg on first. So to your point about sometimes the, the, the fix is worse and you said it up on, on one of these the other day about like sometimes, uh, I don't know how this fits in, but like sometimes um, not giving information or not, not sometimes not giving information is better than giving bad information. And so, or you know, the, the, the wrong teach. And so sometimes you just let the guy go, he's like, hey, you know what? It's not, this is not what it looks like usually, but we gotta let him ride. We gotta let him, let him ride, that's who he is. That's who he is. And, and a little tangent on that is something I've learned too, is that we can, you, we have to learn who the player, how the player views himself. I'll give you an example, quick one. We had a big dude back in the day, signed him, I think in, we signed him in oh, 15 or 16. And he had been um, taught to put the ball in play, put the ball in play, put the ball in play. This guy's huge. Hit the pee, hit the poop out of the ball. And we were we were telling, hey hey man, like I don't want you to hit a ground ball ever in my presence. I just don't want I don't want you to ever hit a ground ball. I, your BP is to hit the ball out the center field every single swing. I, I, no no hitting runs, no move them over, no that shit. Sorry, um, just <laughs> hit the ball over the fence every swing you take right and then and then you take a every now and then it'd be like a and I, I don't want you to sit your zone and you're going to take a healthy hack at it right well he would take a 1-0 swing and just kind of serve it to left field and i'd be like dude that's that's not what we got you for we're we're teach, we're we want you to hit the ball over the fence it taught me to ask the following question to hitters what would would you rather hit 300 with 10 home runs or 250 with 30 home runs. And that kid would rather hit 300 with 10 home runs. Even though he wasn't built like that, Mm -hmm. he, he didn't like striking out. So he wanted to put the ball in play. And so us trying to change him into something that he didn't wanna be, just didn't fit with his old... I was trying to be Nolan Ryan when I was younger. Big old leg kick, boom, right? Nolan Ryan. Walked a ton of people, struck out a ton of people, threw the ball up in the zone with a hammer breaking ball. That's what I'm gonna be. When I walked, guys didn't care. Didn't care. All right. No one was walking people. So, and I was a Tiger fan. So, you know, uh, Fielder, tails in the air. They're striking out. Funky swings, swinging up, swinging up to shoot, putting the ball in the air. I didn't mind striking out. I didn't mind walking people. So that's who I was at the time. I changed a little bit, but in, in my at my core. I was a power in the zone and I was Nolan Ryan. And so it, it really never got away from me, even as I turned to something else later on out of just sheer uh, trying to survive. But I think le- learning who those g- who those kids are at their core was really important just because they, they taught me, like, I can't make him what I want him to be. You know, and it's an individual player. You know, yeah, it's, a, it's an individual player. He's a person that has certain, things that he's been taught that i don't know about Mm -hmm. and he wants to put the ball in play i can't teach him oh don't worry about striking out no in his mind striking out is the worst thing that could possibly happen to and just because i don't feel that way doesn't mean he has to feel that way
2: yeah no that that's (laughs) that that's an awesome point
1: well hey man this is uh this has been awesome uh we might have to do this again i know You've got some things in the works, Carlos. So we'll see where that goes. But um just uh to say I enjoyed it. If you have not subscribed uh to our podcast, please do that now. We also want your questions. Um you know, hit us up on, on Twitter or go to our website and go through support or whatever. Just say, Hey, I got a question for the podcast because we want to address them. Uh, and we'll do a topic around them. or We'll do a, an individual podcast depending on it, or we may just do one where we just field a whole bunch of questions, but, uh, definitely subscribe, subscribe. So you don't miss out on that. And, uh, Carlos, again, thank you for joining us and, uh, everybody until next time. Take care. It was a pleasure. Thank you.